0: Hey, we are rolling. Um, So we are looking at the concept of icons uh, of Christ in, in the church and from the scriptures. So today I want to talk about the wounds of Jesus. And we're going to look specifically, at least starting out, at John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, so if you would open up to that. Let's just read through it. It's it's the well-known passage with Thomas. And actually let's we'll to get just a little bit of context, let's back up to John chapter 20 verse 19. I'll give you a moment to grab a Bible and open it up. So let's take a look at John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so this is our text for this morning. I want to begin this study of icons and the icons of Jesus by thinking about what we meditate upon in life. When we think about life and we think about relationships, we... We often think of good things that the Lord has done. But then um, sometimes we think about failed relationships or we think about uh, things that did not go as we had hoped or had planned. Um, Sometimes when you think about relationships, uh, you think about the past and there's pain involved. And you think, oh, You know, I remember the times when I said the things that I wished I hadn't said. um, And I wish I had those moments back so I could redo those moments. Or um, there were things that I did that I wish I hadn't done. I wish I could go back and redo. Um, And in many cases, it is those kinds of things that we remember. We rem- and, it, you know, some of it's personality type, but, you know, with all of us, we remember the things that, that we wished we would forget, right? Um, so that would be like sins of commission, the things that we, that we do, uh, th- things we said or things we did that we wish we didn't. But then sometimes there's sins of omission where we wished we had done something or said something and we didn't do it. So that's one kind of looking at our our wounds, wounds of the past. There's also then those situations where we have been wronged or we have been sinned against. And we think about those things in the past as well. Uh, times when people hurt us in uh, relationships, uh, either by things that somebody did to us or something that was said to us. When you think about relationships, uh, God established relationships. He starts with Adam and Eve. And there's this uh, this, uh, very important passage in Genesis chapter 2 where it says that God looks at Adam and sees the poor guy and says, oh, that poor guy, he's all alone, you know. And so he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so comparable, this is kind of Hebrew stuff, but the Hebrew word is neged. And what it really means is from before the eyes. So it's Hebrew loves word pictures. And so the word picture is that here's poor Adam. He's all alone. And so God creates Eve from the rib of of Adam. And then he presents Eve to Adam. And Adam looks into Eve's eyes. And he is now complete. He finds himself Okay, Um, Eve looks into Adam's eyes and she finds herself and she's complete. Now this branches out, this concept branches out into vocation. And so it it branches out into relationships of all kinds. So uh, I was teaching uh, at Concordia University last night and teaching my students about vocation. And I said, for example, I'm your professor and you're the students and as I look into your face you define me and you give me purpose in life. Okay? And so we can take this concept in Genesis 2 from marriage and then expand it out to, to all vocations and all relationships. So you know the good catechism thing about who's my neighbor, you know it's whoever's next to me. But whoever's next to me, I look into their face and I find my purpose and you find your purpose. So there is this sense of exchange and relationship and it's in the design of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So, you know, there's this, this concept within the Holy Trinity and how the Father, Son and Holy Spirit relate together. And it's, it's, a, it's a Greek term, perichoresis, but we get the word choreography from it, okay? So it's like the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they dance and they relate to one another, okay? And because the Holy Trinity is like that, then you see how God has established or why God has established relationship. Like, did you ever wonder, like, why did he create Adam? You know, God's perfect, He doesn't need anybody or anything and he creates, you know, he creates the world. But then he says he decides he's going to create Adam and then he sees Adam's alone. So he creates Eve. And so now you've got community. So prior to the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, relationships were just goodness, right? Goodness, goodness, one after another. But then with the fall of humanity the relationships become a little more complicated because we still dance, right? People dance. They relate to one another. But in that relating to one another, many times those are good things, but sometimes they're not good things. And so we look at our relationships and we look at the past And sometimes we have these wounds that exist. And there is an article uh, in the Journal of Language and Social Psychology published in January 10th of 2019. And the article was titled The Relative Power of Negativity, The Influence of Language Intensity on Perceived Strength. And it says that Negative utterances get more attention among people. Uh, Negative utterances arouse more emotions than positive ones. Negative utterances have more influence on recipient behavior. And here's the crazy thing. Negative utterances are stored better and longer in memory. Does that make sense? I mean, it's true, isn't it? I, how many times does somebody do something good or say something good, but we remember? Or it could be 10 people say something good to you, right? But what do you remember? The one negative. The one negative. And so it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's part of our condition So what I would like to talk about this morning is the pain that is associated with our wounds and how to redirect our focus. Because if you think about pain and you think about wounds, the the devil likes to remind us of the things that we have said or done. And so we keep recounting those things. And over time, it slowly just eats away at us. And maybe, you know, maybe we lose our, uh, our encouragement. Um, maybe we start to despair a little bit at a time over the things we've done. Or maybe we don't think well of ourselves internally because of things we've said or done. We just keep rehashing and rehashing. Uh, Or if someone has done something or said something to us, we recount those over and over. And sometimes we may feel justified in continuing to think about that because we're trying to overcome it. But that too, if we... If we only focus upon our wounds, whether we've done them or they've been done to us, a steady meditation, a musing upon our wounds, could destroy us. And... There's a a lot in the in the Greek world, like Greek philosophy, that they, they thought about this stuff a lot. The early Christians thought about this a lot. Um there, there is a place to seek professional help which is is good. And you know, if a person needs to seek professional help, they can they can heal from from that. But in many cases it becomes like a centripetal force that just spins and grows faster and faster and grows it goes right to the center and it it can draw us into a deeper hole of darkness if you think about the world and just people in general if you don't have Jesus these these wounds will just keep Festering upon us. If you look at the bottom of the first page of the handout, Greek thought has long given sense to this, this vice of, of pain. And so the first thing that often happens is we become entangled or caught within. So if we cannot adequately deal with, with our wounds and we just keep meditating upon them, we are caught within. And then our focus becomes very, inters- you know, introspected, I guess. The next thing is it could lead to grief. And then grief can lead to bitterness anger or harshness and then finally or possibly some people are left with bitterness and anger or harshness sometimes it can lead to biting harming striking okay another thing that can happen is being led into spiritual or mental sloth or or apathy where you're tired of thinking about these things you can't quit thinking about it but it it won't go away and so you just sort of resign yourself to this just difficult state. The third thing that can happen is you could be led into gradual decline into disorder. It's entropy in Greek and the devil loves for us to ma- meditate upon our own wounds endlessly and that's you know the devil doesn't often destroy a person in a day it's usually a slow eating away but what are what are some biblical examples of this kind of thing. Can anybody think of any? What's that? Judas? Yeah, Judas was definitely one of them because he didn't repent, did he? He let it get to him. Yeah. Saul, King Saul? Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's right. David and the Psalms, you said? Yeah, that is exactly right. And so, you know, we, we have good biblical examples of this. But now let's, let's take a look at Jesus and Thomas. So Thomas was not with the other disciples at Jesus' first appearance. The other disciples beheld the wounds and the flesh of Jesus. So Jesus goes into the locked room on Easter morning and says, peace be with you. And there are his wounds. He, He shows them, shows the wounds to them. Luther says, when they saw the Lord and he showed them his hands and feet, they were glad. The greatest joy is that Christ shows them his hands. And then he says in parentheses, hitherto we have been shown only our own hands. So see, there you have it. Luther acknowledges it too, that if we don't have the wounds of Jesus, then we only have our wounds to gaze upon. And if we only have our wounds to gaze upon, then it's left for us, in, in our minds, it's left to us to fix it. Right? So if we have to fix it, what happens about those things in the past? You can't go back and fix those things. What if the person moved on? Or maybe the person went to go be with the Lord now and it's just all in the past. You see, so, you know, when we think about our wounds, confession and absolution is to acknowledge and confess what we have done, right? Either what we've done or left undone, said or left unsaid, right? But then... What's the purpose of absolution? The purpose of absolution is to move on. You confess it. Jesus forgives you. And it's, it's, it's done and gone. And now we move forward. And as we move forward, we are fixed upon Jesus. So, like, for example... You can, I didn't put this on the handout, but you can, you can jot it down. 1 Peter 2.24, Peter says, by his wounds, you are healed. So that's the life of absolution. So if, if you have things like this that trouble you, And you just feel constant anguish or anxiety or pain. Confess it. And Jesus places his hand upon you and he heals you. And he says, you are mine. I love you. Now just walk with me. But back to Thomas. So Thomas Wants or even needs to see the wounds of Christ so the question for you is does jesus forbid thomas's request no. no he does not forbid it he says hey look at my wounds take your finger place it here hey take my take your hand place it here In a little story both reached out to touch him he She was rebuked and said, "Don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father yet." So I've never understood not being able to touch him and then being able to touch him. Yeah. Well, that so being able to touch him or not being able to touch him, where Mary Magdalene is not able to touch him yet. Uh, What we see if, if you skip down just a little bit here on on the second page of the handout. John, in his gospel, has given us, in the four episodes of chapter 20, four slightly different examples of faith in the risen Jesus. So Mary Magdalene's is one. But, so number one is the beloved disciple comes to faith after having seen the burial wrappings, but without having seen Jesus himself. So he's at the empty tomb. He sees the, the wrappings, but no Jesus, and he believes. So that's one example of faith. The second one, Mary Magdalene, as you say, sees Jesus but does not recognize him until he calls her by name. So, you know, you kind of wonder, like, does that have something to do with, or I maybe say it like this. Would the hearers of John's gospel think about baptism? Because, you know, we are named and identified in baptism. We are given our identity. So Jesus says, Mary And then faith springs. Number three, the disciples see him and his wounds and they believe. And then four is Thomas. Thomas also sees him and believes, but only after having been insistent on the marvelous appearance. So all four examples are those of people who believed. But then the evangelist will close the gospel in verse 29 by turning his attention to those who have believed without seeing. Which would be us, right? But the exposition, so you think about Thomas. And Thomas needs to meditate upon the wounds of Christ. And I don't think he actually places his, I mean it doesn't say it in the text, does it? He doesn't actually place his finger in the nail marks, or he doesn't place his hand in the side. But he says, my Lord and my God. And in those days, Lord and God appeared in pagan literature and was represented in the Latin, Dominus et Deus Noster, our Lord and our God. And it was affected, that that title was affected by the Emperor Domitian who was likely the reigning emperor at the time of John's gospel, because Lord is Yahweh, and then God would be Elohim. And also reflects on Moses' use of these names in the Old Testament, because Moses often uses, in Hebrew, Yahweh, Elohim together. And so Yahweh would maybe denote, like, God's essence, but Elohim would denote the earthly aspect of, of, of God. And, and what's interesting is the Elohim is plural, so you would get the sense of the trinity, father, son, and holy spirit. The confession of Thomas then is sort of the pinnacle of this text as he as he meditates upon the wounds of Jesus. St John chapter 5 verse 23 for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And then John 8, 28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And then John three fourteen and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So when you think about this, what is going on in this text? I mean, what do we know about John as compared to the other apostles? One thing that marks the difference between John from the other 12, the other 11, was he was the only one that was not martyred. So John lived to be an old man. And he did a lot of work out beyond. And he was the one that went up into Asia Minor and followed Paul. You know, Paul went and started all these churches in Asia Minor. And what's remarkable to me is Paul in 2 Timothy, you know, he he writes 2 Timothy to to Timothy, young pastor. Paul is getting ready to be martyred and he says something very interesting. He says, "As you know, all those in Asia have forsaken me." Which what a strange thing. Paul spent so much time planting churches in Asia Minor and starting Christianity And then at the end of his life, he says, they've all forsaken me. Now, that would be a wound, wouldn't it, for Paul? And, you know, you would like to think, right? Like you take whatever career, whatever you've done, you spend your life putting forth effort into a job or your family or whatever, And then you would hope at the end that there'd be accolades and you'd feel good and you could see positive results, right? But what if you don't? That was Paul. Paul's like, I put all this, you know, in between the lines he's saying, I put all this time into the people in Asia Minor. And then at the end, they've all forsaken me. Now that would be a wound. But Paul... He learned from Jesus not to focus upon his wounds, but to focus upon the wounds of Christ. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look specifically, starting at verse 7. 2 Corinthians, so make sure it's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Sounds like a wound, doesn't it? A thorn in the flesh, or at least it's producing a wound, right? A messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, and, you know, in my Bible, it's red-lettered. So they, they would say it's the words of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the Greek, it literally says in Greek that in Paul's infirmities in his weaknesses in the midst of his the thorn in the flesh the the wounds Jesus tabernacles so it's like an Old Testament picture of the people of Israel and the tabernacle and the holy of holies and the cloud of incense and then the Lord comes down his presence above the mercy seat And he blesses the people. This is the picture. So what Paul is indicating for us is. Even in the midst of life's pain or struggle. It is precisely. In our pain. Or in our weaknesses. Or in our wounds. That Jesus comes and takes a seat right next to you. And he stays with you. And he blesses you. And this is what's going on in the gospel text of John 20. Because both times that Jesus makes an appearance, he says, peace be with you. Right? He gives that peace. and think about the sharing of the peace in church because so peace biblically comes from the Hebrew word shalom and shalom has this very comprehensive picture that when when you have shalom everything is right everything is is being straightened out and it's something when when this peace is declared and spoken the recipients are given something so think about in church the sharing of the peace it's not just a handshake and hey how you doing it's good to see you But it's actually, we are participating in helping heal the wounds of of each other. So when you say peace be with you and with your spirit, those wounds are slowly being healed. And it's shalom because uh, troubled relationships, that we have experienced in the world are being straightened out in the church. Relationships are being retooled. We are seeing how things should be. And it all is with Jesus at the head. Because we see that over and over in the liturgy, right? The peace of the Lord be with you always. And when is that said? Does anybody remember peace of the Lord be with you always. In the liturgy. After the consecration, right? The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. So the preeminent place where these wounds are being dealt with is at the Eucharist. And so, here's the connection between confession and absolution and Eucharist. We come in with our wounds. We receive Christ's absolution. We hear the scriptures and we hear in the scriptures, we hear examples of People's wounds being straightened out, like Jesus heals the paralytic. Remember that account? And there he is. And boy, talk about wound upon wound with the paralytic story. Because if you're a paralytic in that context, that first century context, you're cut off. You're cut off from temple. So you're cut off from God. And then, because you're a paralytic, you're also cut off from others. Or the woman with the flow of blood. If you have a flow of blood, you're not even supposed to be in the city. You're supposed to be out and away from people. And so, the world likes to do wound upon wound upon wound upon wound upon wound. And so, if our meditation is only upon our wounds our wounds will destroy us but what we see in the gospel is Jesus showing us how to live how to do liturgy and how to serve And I kind of think that because of the circumstances, so John lives to be an old man and he's not martyred. He's exiled on the island of Patmos, but he's not martyred. So he established, he he goes further, I think, in some regards in talking about liturgy or implying liturgy. And It's thought like uh, this one uh, New Testament scholar, C.K. Barrett, thought that what we see in John chapter 20, verses 19 and following is an early Christian liturgical example. He says, you have the church entering the doors being shut. Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. His wounds are exposed. Eucharist and scripture. And Thomas beholds and muses upon those wounds. Thomas then speaks the doxology on behalf of the Christian community, my Lord and my God. So C.K. Barrett, and I kind of agree, I like this idea. C.K. Barrett thinks that John chapter 20, 19 and following is an example of the church in liturgy. There's another place In the book of Revelation, which you can read on your own if you have a little bit of time. Revelation. I put Revelation 4.11 here. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. But if you look at the book of Revelation itself. Revelation chapter 4 on through through chapter at least 10 maybe 11 11 they scholars think that this was an example of the divine service because in, in Revelation chapter 4, it, says it starts off saying, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And so he goes in and it's like a church. He goes in through the door and then there's people gathered around the throne. And then there's all kinds of things happening up there. There's proclamations and trumpets blasting and the whole bit. But it's the antidote to all that ails the world. So then if we, if we kind of look at the handout here, I'm going to run out of time. Take a look at the Luther quote at the bottom. Bottom of the last page. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. No other evangelist pointed this out that he showed them his side and that they rejoiced at this. Herein the fruit of the resurrection is described. Here out of fear comes peace, out of mourning, joy. And this takes place in an extraordinary way. It is not an earthly peace and joy. In the world there is peace when a bad thing is removed as when a poor person becomes rich or a sick person becomes well. This, therefore, is a different joy. There they remain locked in, to be sure, and the Jews remain bitterly hostile. Everything remains as before, but they rejoice in this, that Christ makes them a new heart. And he gives peace and joy that flow out from within. All the joy and peace of the world is a hypocritical peace. For them, the heart's joy comes from the outside. And it becomes an external matter. If that external thing ceases, so does the joy. But there among the disciples, it is different. Where they are, there is still externally the fear of death and the fear of the Jews. But within, they have a peaceful and joyful heart. And this comes from the resurrection of Christ because they see Christ's hands and side and he shows these to them. So for us, as we go through this life, uh, we can be joyful through the gift of the Holy Spirit because of Christ's wounds for us. Christ's wounds heal all wounds. And so, as we think about things, things that crop up, or the devil continuing to remind us, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we are placed into his wounds. And as we are placed into his wounds, we are healed. New mind, new heart, new soul. New road ahead with promises, promises of eternal life. And as we journey, Jesus puts us all together, Christian and Christian together, two by two, walking, journeying. And the word of peace always in our midst. First from Jesus, first from the pastor in the divine service. The Eucharist, the body and blood placed upon your lips, and then the peace that is shared from person to person, always restoring your soul and giving you hope for the day ahead. So let us close with uh, prayer, and then we can dismiss. Let us pray. O God, whose strength is made perfect in weakness, grant us humility and childlike faith that we may please you in both will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.